I honestly think I maybe have a different view of failure than other people do. Um, I think that it's one of the things people are most terrified of in the world, especially in my community. So many women in my community petrified of failing. And I always think like, if you can understand that 99% of the time, you're not afraid of failing. You're afraid of other people seeing you fail. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now this is a guest, a friend that I've been talking to, DMing, messaging with for a bunch of years now, and I've been waiting for this moment to actually sit with her in person. I'm a huge fan, I've admired her work for a long, long time, wanted to be in the same room. We've actually never crossed paths uh, in person, but we're finally here in the studio. I'm speaking about none other than three times New York Times bestselling author and the founder of The Hollis Company, Rachel Hollis. Rachel, thank you for doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm so tickled. I'm tickled just to get to hang out with you and the <laughs> fact that there are cameras is also great. I know, I've, I've, I've genuinely been looking forward to this yeah. and you were kind enough to have me on your podcast yeah, last year. Yeah. We had to do it digitally. Yeah, I know. But it was still wonderful. I, I felt like we really got along and connected. And yeah. even now you just walked in and I'm already like, I feel like I already know you, like 100%, genuinely. 100%, and I anticipated that. So yeah. no, this is wild. Yeah, same. Uh, it's honestly, wild too just because with everything that's happened in the last year year and a half maybe at this point we haven't I just haven't had the chance to connect with um, colleagues or with people who sort of have the same mindset or kind of striving for the same thing so it's always a treat to get to yeah. connect in real life yeah definitely I'm excited to talk to you offline right. as well after right. this and right. more and, and as much as we can but we literally just discovered something which has to be where so we start wild. so Rachel literally just said to me Jay I need to tell you what I was doing yesterday yeah and I was just like, I did the same thing. Right. So why don't you? So there, um, Dr. Daniel Amen is someone I've admired his work forever. I've read his books and I always wanted, he's a, a doctor of the brain. Yeah, and he's or, a clinical yeah, neuroscientist. Yeah, thank you. I knew specific. you knew the no, no. words. <laughs> he's been a guest on the show twice. Okay. So oh, if anyone, yeah. Love his work. Um, but I had always wanted to have it done. And my friend Trent, do you know Trent? Yeah, I know Trent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Trent's a really dear friend. And we were texting a few- He got scanned recently. Because yes, I so saw him when he was here. here. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he was here and he was like, oh, I'm in California. I'm having some scans done. And I was like, by who? <laughs> because I feel like if you're sort of in this industry, there's one person you go to. And and so he connected me and I nerded out when I got to talk to uh, Dr. Amon for the first time, just because in my life, what I want most is to understand myself emotionally, physically, why do I do the things that I do and how can I become a better version of me? And I just feel like the more information I have for that, the better. Also, um, a ton of mental illness in my family. My older brother was schizophrenic and wow. took his own life. And um, there's just depression and anxiety and so many things that run in this. And um, I just want to understand if there are things that I can be doing to better live each day. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like my favorite book by Dr. Amen is, um, I think it's The End of Mental Illness. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Which I just found fascinating. Um, essentially the idea that the brain is the part of the body that like if you broke your arm, they would take an x-ray of your arm before they did anything to try and make it better. But if you go to a doctor and you're struggling with mental illness or emotional issues, 
they don't look at your brain, they just start prescribing things. And um, I'm a huge proponent of taking the medicine that you need and getting the help that you need. But I just, I know in my brother's case, um, there was a lot of medicating and, and, and it was a different time and my parents really didn't have the information they needed to help him. Um, but I just think he would have been better served by by more info. Yeah. So that was why. So I went yesterday and got brain scans and found out that you and your wife were you there, were like there two hours before right. us. So crazy. That's um, actually crazy. Yeah, yeah, we went. So our reason was, I mean, that's a beautiful reason to go. And, you know, I'm sure there's so many people listening and watching right now going, oh my gosh, like yeah. I need to know more about this. Right. And we went because I've, I've realized that we, like, like what you were saying, we just know very little. Right. Like about ourselves. Yeah. And I'm just always like, I want to learn. I want to be curious. And I really struggle with not knowing that I could be acting in a certain way or behaving right. in a certain way because of something that I have no clue about. Right. But actually I could be doing something about. Yeah. And I think the other thing that changed for me for a while was we were always told to like live a long life. And that was like a big thing when you were growing up. Like, I, I don't know, at least in my culture, it was very much like you get blessed to like live a long life. Right. And I was thinking, but actually I want to live a healthy life. Yeah. The length is going to be up to God and whatever that yeah. needs to be. But the health is up to me yes. of how conscious I am about how I live. Yes. And so I think for me going to get my brain scanned and I went with my wife yesterday, we were going there for that reason. Yeah. That, you know, what, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing that's harmful? What are we doing that's good for us? Yeah. And But I love your reason. I mean, that's such a, I think for so many people who have had people in their life who've struggled with, depression or mental illness and not known where to start. Yeah. Uh, and we don't discover anything yet. So we don't have yeah, anything don't to know. share. Sorry. Yeah, we like, don't know. I know. Yeah. We'll we just do set a you all up. Right, right. <laughs> Rachel and I have nothing to share. I know. Well, yeah. but I do think, you know, one of my big fears is being so intentional about trying to live in a healthy way. But there are times in my life where I found let's say I'm taking a supplement that I think is really good for me. And then I'll find like a, something will start to feel off or go wrong. And then I'll go have blood work done and find like, oh, well, you know, you're anemic and um, I, I am, a, I'm anemic and I have low blood pressure. So like you actually shouldn't be taking that supplement because it's going to make this thing worse. So I hate the idea that without information, we actually do things that are harmful that we think are helpful mm -hmm. because I really just feel like that it's so discouraging when you're making choices that you think like maybe they're choices that are even hard for you to make or you're eating in a certain way and you're trying to like take care of yourself and then you find out like, oh, it was yeah. it was actually the opposite. It's so discouraging. So yeah. I just, I am a Do you have an example of something like that that you've done? Because well, I think that's, yeah, so, I, I can relate and I'm trying to think about our audience. Like, yeah, what's well, something it, that you thought was so helpful? So I grew up, what's popping into my head is I grew up in a family, my family's Southern on both sides, Oklahoma and Arkansas. And and um, really not conscious of health in any, not mental, not emotional, not nutritional, nothing. Um, so I grew up in a family that, you know, deep fried everything, covered it in gravy, covered Sounds it in amazing. cheese, right? It was delicious. <laughs> um, and sort of the idea in my family growing up was if you made it at home, it was healthy. Mm. Um, it was if you ate out, that was unhealthy. And so um, just, just no awareness around nutrition. And I remember very specifically... After I had my first son, he's uh, 14 and a half, so it's been a while, but um, I had gained a lot of weight in my pregnancy because I just had no idea how to take care of myself or what to eat. Or um, And I just want to say for the record, because this is very important to me, um, 
I hate how often weight is used to control women and make them feel shame. And so uh, this is not a conversation about weight. I don't care what you weigh, live your life, you're beautiful. But for me, I'm 5'2", and I was 52 pounds heavier than I am today. And at 5'2", that's a ton on my frame and physically very uncomfortable, like in pain, just all the things. And I remember after I had Jackson, it was the first time in my life that I thought I need to lose weight and I had no concept of Mm. even how to, and no idea. And absolutely did things in retrospect that were horrible for my body, like fad diets or um, protein powders or things. And I mean like slim fast. I don't mean like what (laughs) we have today that's good for us. And um, I remember about going through like a month where I was like on a diet and I didn't weigh myself because I was just trying to make, you know, great strides and whatever. And finally getting to the end of the month and weighing myself and I think I had gained a pound Mm -hmm. and I was devastated. Like, first of all, I probably, my son was probably four months old at the time. I'm exhausted. I don't know what I'm doing. And now I feel like I've been restricting myself and feel like I've been doing things that are good for me. And actually it was the opposite because I really didn't understand food at all. So I was eating things I thought were healthy and they weren't. And I was, it just, it was a whole mess. And it's been years of learning a different way. But when you're already tired, you're a mama and you like feel overwhelmed and now you just did that, then you're like, screw it. Like, why am I even trying? I may as well go to Taco Bell because at least that burrito is going to make me happy instead of sort of making these choices. So I just, I I grew up without um, education from my family about what that looked like and my personal development journey really was a journey of me trying to arm myself with information that I never had. Mm -hmm. And I found that information in books and podcasts and YouTube videos and um, it changed my life. Yeah, no, that's that's such a great example, by the way. Like I love that story and journey because it's so relatable for so many people. No one grew up with parents who knew everything about every vegetable. When I married my wife, I was just like, how do you know all this? Yeah. Because that's her world. Yeah. And I didn't grow up in that way either. I grew yeah. up eating four chocolate products a day. Oh my gosh. So I grew up, I used to eat a chocolate biscuit, a chocolate bar, yes. a chocolate yogurt, and a chocolate ice cream nice. every single nice. day. And it was amazing. Yeah, and now I'm like addicted to chocolate for life. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's such a it's strong in, thing. Yeah. And it's funny, I actually told Dr. Daniel Lehman this. I said to him when he was on the podcast, I said, oh, you know, now I've become really good at controlling my sugar intake and I do a cheat day once a week. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, it should be called a cheat day. I was like, what? He goes, you're cheating your brain. And oh he, he just, God. he like flipped it on me. Like he did that matrix. Thing. I was like, he was just like, yeah, you're cheating yourself. Wow. He, goes, he, he was just like, it's not a good thing. Right. He goes, you think that your sugar a week is a treat. Right. He goes, it's actually cheating your brain. And I was like, oh man, I still do my once a week. I like, know, like, I well, know. Like, we're honestly, we're talking binge. about it. We're like, he's good. When we have this consultation, he's going to like tell us like, you never have coffee again. Never. <laughs> because I did yesterday, honestly, I was telling you, I couldn't have coffee beforehand and I had flown out from yeah. Austin. And so I could not believe how much brain fog I had yesterday yeah. without caffeine. Like I, 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 he texted me yesterday and said, how'd everything go? And mm-hmm. I was like, I am addicted to coffee. I, I am. I, because I haven't 
tried to live without caffeine um, since I was pregnant the last time. And I cannot believe how much I need that for focus. Wow. And in fact, <laughs> as much as I am high producing, like, you know, my, I'm always doing, I am the, I'm an achiever. I like do all the things. The lowest scoring thing on, you know, that computer test yes, you had to yes, take yes. was focus. Wow. Lowest scoring for me. And wow. I had suspected that because I can accomplish a lot, but I get distracted easily. Right. And so I'm dying to know like why or what am yeah. I, what do I need to do? And I'm afraid he's going to be like, never have coffee again. <laughs> like, oh. I, think, I think that's all of us. Though. I, I really do believe that the evolution, and, and I love social media, right? Like without social media, I wouldn't even have this com community we right. have and be able to have this podcast. Right. So I'm not someone who likes to bash social media. I think it, you know, it, it has its pros and cons yeah. as anything. But I find that as social media apps evolve, I find that they do worse for my focus and distraction 100%. consistently. So I saw the difference between the difference between Instagram and TikTok for my brain. Right. And I'm just being aware. Yeah. Like I haven't even had that tested. Right. right. But I saw that the more time I spent on TikTok, the more I would need distraction, the more mm -hmm. I would feed distraction, the more I would yep. choose distraction. And I've realized that for me, at least, and I'd love to hear, yeah. that's what I'm trying to take this is, I'd love to hear what yours is. For me, I found that when I don't look at my phone first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. I'm able to control that urge. Yes. And when I go on breaks, I was literally in Miami for two weeks recently. And the work that I was doing meant from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. We couldn't be on our phones. Mm -hmm. I was working with a client. And so I wasn't on my phone. And not being on my phone for 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., which is very abnormal for me yeah. in my life, and I'm sure in yours too, yeah. it was a phenomenal I feeling. Bet. I and bet. so for me, I've, I've been able to figure that out by realizing I feel so much more clarity and focus when I don't pick up my phone in the morning, when I do do like a social media fast right. uh, regularly throughout the year. What have you been doing apart from the coffee? Like what yeah. have you been doing to help improve... And I guess why do you want to improve your focus right. is a good question too, right. because some people are sitting going, well, I'm, I'm happy just doing this, but. Well, oh my gosh, so, <laughs> so many, many Yeah, so many things, um, sorry, so, so many I'll things. just start here. I literally I, just went. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I think three weeks ago, I, not only did I remove TikTok from my phone, but wow. I closed my account. Wow. I literally deleted it. And um, it was a very conscious choice because of how, like I would go on fast where I'm like, I'm not going to open TikTok for a month or mm -hmm. whatever. But there's, I mean, obviously it's designed in such a smart way. I just will lose an hour and a half. Yes. And I would sort of tell myself, um, I, I would only do that. Like, let's say it's night and the kids are in bed and I have nothing to do. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to watch for five minutes. <laughs> and then I lose an hour and a half. And I'm, I know there's a lot of people who would say like, well, who cares? I care because the greatest value in my life is growth. Mm -hmm. And in order for me to grow, I have to constantly be feeding my mind. I sound so cheesy right now. I feel like <laughs> if I was watching this, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But for me, that's books. Mm -hmm. And I never run out of nonfiction books on my nightstand, on you know tables in my, and so I have all these stacks I really wanna read. And that hour and a half, that was my reading time. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm done, I'm tired and now I need to go to bed. So for me, it was a very conscious decision of um, you, you have to know what it is you want. And this is fun and this is beautiful and this is a cool way to connect with people. But I just knew yeah. this is not serving me well. And I had tried 
not having it there, but I, I don't know if you ever feel like this. Like if you have an account on social and you're not posting on it, yes. there's almost this like weird guilt yes. that happens. And so you feel like you have to. And I just thought, nope, I'm just removing, I'm removing this distraction from my life. Yeah. So why focus matters to me is there's so many things that I want to do, meaning there are 10 books inside my brain that I want to write and uh, screenplays and um, things I want to try and stuff I haven't done before. And the only way I'm going to pull that off with a company to run and four children is the ability to focus and get into flow state and get that work done and be highly productive and then move on to the next thing. So for me, I am constantly trying to figure out how I can do those pieces better And I really feel like this is part of wanting to have a brain scan too. I feel like my focus has gotten so much worse in the last few years. And I don't know if that's the result of social or the phone Mm -hmm. or what it is, but I just know that if I can get back into the focus that I had maybe four years ago, whatever was going on, I was so much more productive and I really want that back. I can actually relate to that so much. Like everything you're saying, I'm just like, I feel the same way. And that's been what's making me so conscious of it, especially in the last 12 months. Right. Where I think we've all consumed more content in the last 12 months than ever before. And for me as well, like, so I, this is, this is real. And I know it sounds like crazy, but it's, I hadn't watched television, like a TV show in the last 10 years before Me last year. Me either, before uh, COVID. Before COVID. And then now I and, have, <laughs> and I sort of hate it. Yeah, I've, I've, I literally noticed myself, I, I've, I didn't watch TV, for, I watch movies, so I'm a big right. movie fan, but right. I hadn't watched a TV show right. or watched something consistently or binged or any of that. So I do watch movies, just to clarify, <laughs> uh, because I talk about movies a lot. But, but TV shows, I hadn't, and I feel so different mentally yep. now that my habit became every night me and Riley would finish our day and we'd turn on a show, which we didn't do for yeah. such a long time. Yeah. We've been married for five years. So for five years of our relationship, we haven't done that at the end yeah. of the day. We've been doing that nearly every day for the past 12 months. And yeah. I feel different. Right. Like I feel slower. I feel more lethargic. I feel less alert. I, yes. I don't feel my best self. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to, I was talking to my boyfriend about this, mm-hmm. which I'm fine to say that I have a boyfriend, just not going into detail. So I was talking yeah. to my boyfriend about this the other day, about how important boredom is for imagination. So when we were all growing up, you were just bored sometimes Mm -hmm. and that was life, right? And in the boredom, you know, when you'd have those times when you're a little kid and you'd be bored and you sort of like wander around the house and like try and figure out something to do and then you'd end up doing something clever, interesting or like you'd make up a game or what. Kids don't have that anymore. Mm -hmm. There is a million things that can distract them from being bored. And he said something really interesting. He's like, no, kids are still bored. They're just bored and distracted which is way more dangerous wow. because they're they're still bored scrolling on their phone. Yes. But now they're not even conscious of the boredom. Yes. And what is that doing to the next generation of not being able to be creative thinkers or sort of go outside the box? And I have this conversation with my kids a lot because they have, I mean, they have like our old phones. Yes. My ex and I like, it'll be like, oh, here's an iPhone 4 <laughs> that you can like try and make work. Um, but they definitely have phones and that's very much a part of their life. And- they get so frustrated with me because I'm like, no, you need you need to be, yeah, I, I can't figure out what you're going to do with this time. This is your time to, you can read a book, figure it out. And 
as much as they're frustrated by that process, me removing tech and making them go do something, that's also when my youngest will always gravitate to painting, right? The oldest will always go and start playing with Legos or building something that he's like too cool to do because he's 14, (laughs) but they'll always gravitate to these things that they wouldn't do otherwise. But I wonder how much we need that as adults as well. Like how often are you bored? How often are you just like sitting sort of letting your mind wander? Yes. Um, I feel like we're missing that because we just, it's such a, we're always here, like grabbing for where's the phone. Yeah. We're bored and stimulated, which is weird, right? It's like, how can you be stimulated but be bored? But we are. Right. There's actually a great book by the School of Life called How to Be Bored. It's a really small book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I came out a couple of years ago and I spoke about with Yuval Noah Harari, the uh, the author of Homo Deus and oh, Sapiens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spoke about boredom on the podcast and, and we were going to start the boredom movement. Right. <laughs> we, were like, we were like, you should have X amount of time every day where you allow yourself to be bored. Yes, yes. And you allow yourself to not do anything. And maybe, like you said with your children, we'd actually do something innately creative and magical and beautiful. Maybe you won't. Maybe yeah. you'll just be bored. Just be bored, but, yeah. But it's healthy for the mind and the brain. I, I wonder what Dr. Daniel was going to tell us. I but, know. But I, I wanted to ask you, this is something I've actually wanted to ask you for such a long time because, and you mentioned it, you mentioned you love reading books. And yeah. You have stacks of books. Yeah. And, and you've had three phenomenal successes as bestsellers. Yeah. But that's not where your author career began. No. And I remember reading articles about you and just looking at like, and I and I forgot the exact number, so forgive me, but how many books did you write before so, uh, Girl, Wash Your Face? Girl, Wash Your Face was my sixth Six. Book. That's what I thought. I was going to say six books before. I was going to say six or seven, but I didn't yeah. want to get it right. So Girl, Wash Your Face, Girl, Stop Apologizing, Didn't See That Coming. Yeah. These three books, multi-millions of copies sold, extremely successful, yeah. like the guidebook for literally every person I've seen online. But then there's five books before these three. And that like four you, people, do, right? Do you have a number? Yeah, do you have a number of <laughs> yeah, just I mean, as a rough, I'm not asking for a yeah, sales no. figure. I mean, more just like, how many people would care? I mean, that, I, I, it's hard with, so the very first book I wrote oh, was Oh, they've all changed now, yeah. Right, yeah, that's yeah, what's right. hard. I'm like, oh, they sold hundreds of thousands yeah, now. Now, yes, yes, But yes, back yes. then, uh, you know, here's how I would think of it. Um, so uh, when you're an author, just saying this for peeps who are at home who might not yeah. know, um, you get an advance. So a publisher yeah. gives you an advance um, to write a book. And then if you sell out that advance and you start making royalties, I know you know this. No, no, um, no, it's useful. Yeah, it's very useful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just as a point of reference, my advance for my first book, which was Party Girl, was $1,000. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I am rich. <laughs> I have made it. Like yeah. I'm killing it in life. Um, so that was just this tiny fiction book that I wanted to write about and I still love so much. And fiction is still such a a big place in my heart. I actually just finished my first screenplay. That's amazing. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Congrats. And I've always wanted to do it and I've had the idea forever, but that's again, this sort of like creativity and ability to focus is like, how do I shift my brain from thing to thing? Um, so yeah, so I started in fiction and I think that'll always be a part of, of, of like love for me. And it doesn't even have to be successful. Here's the interesting thing. Maybe we talked about this when we did the podcast. Um, uh, being an author was never, ever something I planned to be known for. Yes. I just love books Mm. and it was my hobby. And so I would write a book. And in fact, Party Girl, I self-published. No publisher wanted that book. 
and I self-published and then it started to sell and it started to do well. And then a publisher came and said, hey, we want to buy this and turn it into a series and we'll wow. give you a thousand dollars. And I was wow. like, hot damn. <laughs> wow. Um, so it really was just supposed to be this little thing I did on the side. And I honestly, I don't know how this will sound, but like I miss the obscurity. Yeah, I yeah, miss yeah. writing and not yeah. having anyone care what I yeah. wrote about because there is a freedom as a creative to do whatever you want to do. Like, do you remember when you first maybe started creating content oh, and you could freaking do anything yeah, yeah. and now everything's under a microscope and how did it perform compared to that and what? And so I feel like you lose some of that yeah. artistic you know, joy in the process. Yeah, I love that. That's been, actually, it's really interesting. Every time, and I've been having this conversation a lot more recently, like people have been asking me like, what's the big thing you're doing this year, right? And that's a question right. I'm sure you get right. asked a ton. What's the next book? And, yeah. And I'm just like, well, really, if I'm completely honest, the big thing I'm doing this year is self-discovery, like yeah. rediscovery. Like I'm yeah. so, I'm in such a, a, a strange land for myself this year mm -hmm. and I'm loving it Yeah, because it's the first time where I'm just like, I just want to figure out what I care about. Again. Right. Like I really want to just, explore and be, you know, refine what I want to dedicate my life to for the yeah. next three to five years or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, and I'm just in that space and I can see how uncomfortable it is as an answer to some people who are like, well, Jay, you could be doing this. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm like, well, we're doing a lot of stuff that I love. Like yeah. I love the podcast. Yeah. I'm sitting down with amazing people. Yeah. I, I am writing my second book and I'm loving the process, but there's also a part of me that's allowing myself to just unfold and unravel again. Yeah. And a lot of it to me is, and I said this to my friends the other day, we had a group call with all my friends in London who I miss. And I was saying like, I literally feel like I'm back at the beginning of my journey yeah. again in so many I ways. I do too. Yeah. That's it, wild. Yeah, yeah. I it, do too. And it's really like liberating and refreshing. And I, I love that you said that. And, and I'm so happy. It's it's nice to know that, yeah. you know, you're not alone, even, yeah. when, even when you are. Well, I feel like I'm experiencing that too, or did experience that. Maybe everybody did coming through 2020, mm. but in 2020, I got divorced yes, and I, gonna, yeah. I had been with him for 18 years. Yeah. So it was the, literally the first date I went on. I never, I'd never been on, like my wow. boyfriend right now is the second man I've ever been on a date wow. with. I know. I didn't know nuts? that. Yeah. Wow. My, that's amazing. Pretty wild. Wow. Um, but what I'm seeing in real time and it, it is like how often we think and this is going to sound, I don't know, how often we think like, this is what life is. And then you go through something, hopefully we just went through this globally, but you go through something that shakes that and you realize like, oh, wait, I can redefine my life at any moment. Mm -hmm. I can change the way that I see things or do mm -hmm. things. Even um, in my relationship, um, you know what he does for a living. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a normal job. Mm -hmm. And it involves a lot of travel, a lot, like yeah. a lot. And even that is very interesting for me to wrap my brain around. Like at first I was sort of like, well, how is this going to work? Because I only know one way of being in a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I'm like, or, or you can reframe the way you see this. Like how lucky are you? First of all, he's amazing. He's super hot. But also, yes, I, 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 <laughs> but also like what a cool job and mm -hmm. what sort of adventures are we going to get to have because of mm -hmm. the travel and all of those things. And I'm reframing how that looks mm -hmm. even, um, sort of reframing. We all did this with work. 
Um, and I know you've worked from home, but for most people, that was a new experience last year. And now I feel like suddenly business owners besides me are like, wait, do I need an office? Yeah, I don't think totally. I need an office. I mean, I need a studio, mm -hmm. but I don't need everything I thought I needed to yes. do life in a certain way. So I'm really loving the redefinition yes. of how I'm going to show up in the world. And like you said, discovering what that means. Yeah. I also think um, coming out of 2019, 2019 was the most insane, constantly on the road, speaking all the time. I don't know if you've had seasons like that. Yeah. Um, and, a, you know, second book in a row comes out and press tours and just, it's madness. It was untenable. It was not something I could have kept doing. And it was also the most financially successful year of my life. And what I love is the reminder. I, I want to acknowledge that in 2020, so many awful, hard things happened for so many people. Lost jobs, lost businesses, lost family members. Like there were so many pieces of that that were brutal. But as a human, having gone through a lot of really hard stuff in my childhood, I really do live my life trying to figure out how an experience can be for me. Like how can this experience, um, what can I learn? from even the hardest seasons. And so I'm looking at 2020 and I'm grateful for the knowledge or the reminder that it can all be taken away. It can all be taken away. The business that you thought couldn't be touched, the speaking career that you thought was amazing, your health, your relationship, like all of these foundations I had in my life were eviscerated in 2020. And I will because I know this about myself, I will hold that knowledge for the rest of my life. That like, I'm going to be so grateful that I get to sit in this room with you because there were 18 months that I didn't get to sit in a room and like talk to friends. Um, I, I'm a little worried. I don't know if you how you feel about this, but I feel like human nature is that everyone wants to forget mm -hmm. what we just went through. Mm -hmm. I mean, I you know, if you go to an airport, I don't know if you've been to an airport uh, in the last month, it's wild. Mm -hmm. They are packed. People are like, I'm going on vacation. I'm living my life and I get it. But at the same time, there were beautiful pieces. We did slow down. We were more present. We spent time with our family. We called our grandma. We did these things. And I'm, I just don't want to forget the, the redefining and the shifting and all of these things that we learned last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. That's my big thing going yeah. forward is like just this. Mm -hmm. And so the, I was actually going to follow up with that, but I think you answered it. That's, that's how you process the idea that the lesson you said you learned was that everything can be lost at any moment, Yeah, which can feel like a very overwhelming, painful thought for a lot of people. And, and it is, you know, in a valid way, but you're saying that the way you hold that thought is saying, let's not forget yeah. what we did. Get. Is this that, is am precious. I, am I, yeah. yeah, this is precious. This is like, let's hold this. Let's be conscious of this. Um, it was actually a big part of what I wrote about in the last book mm -hmm. because unfortunately I've experienced a lot of loss. Like I've lost a lot of people I love in my life. Um, and when you go through, when you lose someone in death, I think you're always reminded of how, short life is mm -hmm. and that it can be taken mm -hmm. in, in so fast and you don't expect it. And so I think you're more, when you come out the other side of grief like that, you're more aware to like, to say, I love you every time, to give people mm -hmm. hugs, to look them in the eye, to be conscious of those moments. And that's what I'm hoping coming through last year that I just don't miss mm -hmm. 
Like I remember the first time I, I have a very close group of best girlfriends and they are my sisters, my squad, my like everything. And I went through however many months we all did where we were in lockdown and I couldn't see them. And I will never forget. We all met up in Palm Springs. Um, so I had seen them last at the beginning of March and it was July. And I know there are people who went longer than that. And so I'm conscious of how blessed I am. But I remember coming out of the Palm Springs airport and my three best girlfriends are waiting there and just running and like holding them and sobbing because we just hadn't been together. And I just don't want to miss that. I just don't want to lose those pieces. I even thought this, you know, I'm in this newer relationship. It's like five months. And, um, I was telling him today, I was like, I want us, we're both big journalers. I'm a big journaler. <laughs> we're so cool. Um, but we both journal every day. It's a big part of our uh, morning routine. Yeah. And, um, I was like, I want us both to journal what it feels like at five months mm -hmm. because it already feels different than it did at two months. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to lose this because I know what it feels like to be in a relationship for 18 years and lose mm -hmm. pieces because of kids and life and hardships and pain and all of this stuff that you lose like, I'm going to sound so cheesy right now, and that's okay. But um, when we first started this, I love how you keep saying that. You preface, you're prefacing all of it. Because I'm, like, embarrassed. So um, when uh, when we first started dating, well, first of all, I will, I'll just tell you this because it's great. We were not dating. We were friends. You know, he lives in Austin, and it was just supposed to be this friend that, like, we got coffee and we would go walk around the lake. That was, like, we were just friends. And both of us were not we're just wanting nothing. And then we would go have, we would get coffee and we would walk around the lake. And then I would get back to my car and it had been like four and a half hours. And I was like, that's weird. That's, what a good friend this is. <laughs> and then I just started to feel like, oh my God, I think I have a crush. Like I'm eight. And <laughs> like it was so lame, whatever. But when we first started dating, I remember I was <laughs> so embarrassing, <laughs> but I would literally... Like I would look at his eyes and I would just like, like have a panic attack. And I was just like, he's so beautiful. And his eyes are so beautiful. And I'm just like lost in his eyes. And he would be like, are you okay? And I'm like, what? I couldn't even hear what he said. And yesterday I was like, oh my God, when is the last time that I looked at his eyes and freaked out about how beautiful they are? And I know that sounds whatever, but I just thought it's just like being conscious of these mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm being conscious of my daughter's four and she's so sassy and she like puts her hand on her hip and she's like got an opinion and it's she's adorable. That, oh, she's adorable. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> I'm so screwed when she's a teenager, but I just want to be conscious of this stuff mm -hmm. because life is speeding back up so fast mm -hmm. and I don't want to miss it. Um, there's this, have you ever read The Artist's Way? Yes. By Julia yeah, Cameron. Yeah, yeah. So she has this quote, which I'm going to butcher right now, but like, basically that the quality of your life is the quality of your ability to pay attention, mm. to pay attention to the details and mm. to see all the little things that are happening around you. So that's my, that's my goal. That's a great forward. lesson. That was a beautiful affirmation for all of us. I right. think the way you were sharing that, <laughs> like, I think we were all thinking about like, oh, what if, what have I, what am I going to miss? Or what right. am I going to forget? Right. Or, you know, or like, what is it? The law of familiarity. Yeah. That it happens so often that you just take it for granted. Yes. Um, We have a mutual friend who has a really, and I'm not going to say his name, but I'll tell you later, but like he has a really insane house here in the Hollywood Hills. Just 
absolutely insane. And I remember going over there for the first time and he and his wife have worked so hard and this is like such a celebration of how hard they worked. And it's the most insane view I've ever seen in LA, like ridiculous. And I I remember walking in the first time and being like, what the hell? Like what on earth? And he's like, yeah. I know exactly you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) It took me a while. I was was like, wait, you're like, I know exactly you're talking about. So I'm like walking through with them. They're like, yeah, and it's whatever. And he's like, and just, I feel like what I'm most nervous about is the day that I walk into this living room and that view doesn't take my breath away. Yes. And the only way to counteract that is to be conscious of not wanting yes. to have that happen. Yes. I, you know, I I think this with um, like interacting with fans or readers or listeners of your podcast, if you've ever had those moments where maybe you're tired or you're on press tour or just something's happening where you're like, I, you're depleted and you maybe are like, oh, I've had those moments where I'm like, oh, I have to go do a book signing right now, mm-hmm. right? And I make myself remember. I make myself yeah. remember the first 25 book signings where two people came mm-hmm. and I was related to one of them, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> I make myself remember what it feels like to sit at that table and have nobody come yeah. up and ask you, or nobody cares about your book, nobody wants to read, and like you've worked so hard. Because if I can put myself back into those places, I will always be conscious of appreciating these. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And and it's so, and it is like, you know, this, this is, we know this, but we still don't get it right. right. I, I, tomorrow is gonna be the three year mark of me moving to LA. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so I've been Did in you a, move from London? From New York, I was oh, in New York New for York. two years. Okay, so okay. I went from London to New York for two years. Okay. And then moved to LA three years ago. So I've been in the States for five years. And I hope every day, and I do this right now, but again, what you're saying, I drive through LA streets and people think, it's, it was always interesting. People always just like, oh, why do you live in LA? It's superficial or materialistic, or whatever. And I'm like, I live here because I get to see blue skies every right. morning. Beautiful. I didn't get that in London. I know what that yeah. feels like. It, it barely rains. I can, I can wear anything I want every day. I don't have to think about carrying an umbrella. Right. And I was like, I look at the palm trees every day in like the mirror through my car. Yes. And I'm just like, I live in a place that I would have dreamed to go on vacation. Right. And so there's such a like appreciation for nature and the hikes. Today I went on a hike around, we have a hike close to where we live. Yeah. And it was just like, that to me is how I want to feel. And yeah. I hope I feel like that forever. But you're right. The only way you feel like that forever is by not forgetting. Yes. And so I think everyone right now, I want you to sit down. I want you to take a moment to do what Rachel just said and take a moment to just ask yourself, what am I scared of forgetting? Ooh, good one. You know, like what am I scared of forgetting? Yeah. From this last 12 months, it's been painful for all of us. I've lost people. Rachel says Mm -hmm. she's lost people. We've had family friends and mentors and people that we've lost. What are you scared of forgetting that was a gift at this time? I think that's such a beautiful uh, reflection for people to do. Yeah. And I'm so glad you shared that with us because we do need to hear it again and again. Yeah. I mean, I think another, this is sort of going back to an earlier thing you said about not looking at your phone in the morning. Um, Probably the greatest practice in my life, and I've done it for a decade, uh, is journaling every Mm -hmm. single morning. And a lot of times those are where I remember It's that very conscious moment of, I mean, this is a Julia Cameron thing too, but um, doing the morning pages. So Mm -hmm. having to fill a certain amount of pages every single morning. And sometimes you have great things to say. And sometimes you're just like, it's cold. I'm (laughs) tired. You know, you can't sort of 
think, but those are when I have those detailed moments. And for the longest time, I never reread the journals. And I've started doing that every time I get to the end of a journal, I'll start at the beginning and read all the pages. Wow. How many do you have now? A lot. Wow, that's cool. I have a lot, yeah. And it's such a beautiful collection for me of um, of just life and what was happening and how I was feeling. And I heard someone say recently, she was like, you'll never get to be with this version of yourself again. Mm. And I just thought that was so beautiful. I heard it at a time when, you know, when I started dating this person um, and I didn't have a lot of experience and I felt so nervous and, you know, I can get on stage and speak to 18,000 people, zero problem. Like hanging out with Oprah, we're all good. But going on a date, I felt like I was going to die. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I didn't know how to act. I was so awkward. I didn't feel like myself. I just, it was, it was a joke. Um, And I was really hard on myself internally about that. Like, how can you be this person who's achieved all these things and you can't sit and have dinner with this man without acting like an idiot. Mm. And I was so frustrated and I heard that quote and I just loved it. Like, oh, you're never going to be with this like nervous, giddy version of yourself again. Yeah. You're never like, if if it doesn't work out with this person and you date someone else, that time surely you won't be as nervous as you were here. So could you just allow yourself to be graceful and appreciate this version mm-hmm. of you, who she is today? Um, and that really helped me to sort of sit in the process. But if you're already journaling about what you don't want to forget, I... I can't, there's no greater practice I have in my life yeah. is is just writing down the thoughts every I day. I love that. Yeah, and for anyone who do, who doesn't see themselves as a writer, try. Yeah. Uh, because it will come out. Yeah. And if you really can't, then what I do is voice note. Yeah. So I voice record myself all the time. Cool. I find it easier to talk, find it easier to listen to myself. I can yeah. always listen to myself on 1.5 or, yeah. or 2 if I'm listening back. And I yeah. find like talking out loud to myself helps me remember things yeah. in, in a really, you know, visceral way. That's awesome. And so, yeah, I think journaling is a huge practice, writing or audio, whichever one yeah. works for whoever's listening. But, yeah. you know, you were talking about, you've been talking about relationships and, you know, people have gone through so many big relationship transitions during COVID. You, you went through a huge one. It's yeah. like, <laughs> I feel like transitions are hard, but that's what life is made of. Yes. Right? It's like life is made of transitions. Yeah. And transitions are usually where we feel we need the most help. It's where we're at our weakest, where we struggle. Like whether you're moving house, getting married, getting divorced, breaking up, meeting someone new, mm-hmm. all of these are transitions. Yeah. And these are the most life-defining moments. Like yes. How, how have you learned to transition better as life has progressed? Because we never perfect it. We never get it right. Yes. Uh, how have, have you... Have you got better at transitioning in life? Do you feel you have? What What has helped you do? I think I've gotten so much better because I don't rush it. Mm. That is the biggest lesson I have learned in 38 years is had I gone through a divorce 10 years ago, I would have pushed myself to like, okay, get over it, figure it out. It's been four weeks. And I really was so proud of myself in the divorce that I let, myself sit in the pain mm. and it was so painful and it was so hard. And I let myself feel every emotion. I let myself feel super sad. I let myself feel very angry at him and very angry at myself. And I just let it all sort of flow through me and mm-hmm. kind of, um, almost like 
watching yourself experience those emotions instead of like drowning inside them. And that was, I think, so much more healing and I think is a huge reason that I can't speak for him and and how he Mm -hmm. processed, but I know for me that's a huge reason for why I think our relationship is so healthy and good and why we were able to transition our kids so well through the process. Um, So for me, I think in transition, just allowing yourself to like be in it Mm -hmm. um, is a big one. And I also, when you were talking about transition, I was also thinking it's not just the transitions that sort of make us, it's also points of tension. Mm -hmm. It's areas of tension, which essentially if you are going through a change, that's going to feel tense. Mm -hmm. But those areas of tension in our life are either going to make us someone better or we're going to get worse. Mm -hmm. There is no, there's no sort of stasis. There's Mm -hmm. no, I think a lot of people think that they can hang out in a comfort zone, but you're either being pushed and becoming better or you're being pushed and becoming worse. And if we can, um, I think there's a lot, like if we can sort of not embrace tension. Well, actually, uh, yeah. Like my (laughs) tattoo says embrace the suck because I really do believe that the best version of me comes on the other side of the hardest seasons. And that feels like transition or change or, or whatever it looks like is just allowing myself to be like, we're going to embrace this. Mm -hmm. We're going to embrace all the parts of this and hopefully come out the other side as a better version of me. Um, I do really believe that um, I, I assume that you are like a manifester goal setting. Like you have an idea of like who you want to be in your life. Right. Um, And not even necessarily what you want to achieve, but just like the kind of man that you want to be. And I think that when we call our shot, like that, when we start to dream and envision and and have a plan for where we want to go, I do think the universe shows up to aid us in mm-hmm. that process. But it isn't necessarily a an easy journey or a comfortable one. I think that most of the time people call the shot and then everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Everything gets hard. Everything feels impossible. And they're mm-hmm. like, they use that <clears throat> as an excuse or they see that as an example of oh, well, that goal wasn't for me or that dream wasn't meant to be mine. When the reality, I think, is that the universe was like, oh, no, 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 you said you wanted that thing. Mm -hmm. And so we've put things in your path to make you strong enough to climb that mountain. Mm -hmm. Like you had to go through these things to have that, but you just, you gave up here. You quit because you thought that the hardship meant that it wasn't supposed to be yours when really I think that the hardship was meant to grow you into who you're meant to become. Absolutely. Is that is that what kept you going when you were writing five books? <laughs> right. Because that's just that to me is the perfect example of you living what you just said. Right. Like that to me is such a great, you know, if it's like when I look at you and everything you've achieved and all the amazing work you do, to me, when I when I I remember reading that story years ago and just going, wow, like six books. Like that is not a joke. Like there's right. nothing about that that is easy. You know, we talk about like, you know, it's like, oh, and I think a lot of people can relate to this today because we live in the world of like, oh, I put out three videos and none of them went viral. So like, what do I do? Or like, you know, we live in this world of like, oh, but I've been posting every day for a month and nothing's happened or, and I feel people have this. How did you write five books and keep going? Was it just that you loved it and you were passionate? Were you getting better? Like what was, what kept you going to to get to that point? I think all those things, right? I did love it. I was very passionate about doing it and I felt like I was getting better. And I honestly think 
I maybe have a different view of failure mm-hmm. than other people do. Um, I think that it's one of the things people are most terrified of in the world, especially in my community. So many women in my community petrified of failing. Mm-hmm. And I always think like, if you can understand that 99% of the time, you're not afraid of failing. You're afraid of other people seeing you fail. Mm-hmm. And that's about your ego. Mm-hmm. That's not about your work. And so for me, I have a a really different definition of what it is to fail. And I get it wrong. I freaking get it wrong all the time. Mm. Like I, I'm, oh gosh, back in April, said something on social media that was so hurtful to so many people. And I was devastated. I'm still devastated. I could like cry forever. You and I've texted about this the last couple months. But I also think that like, I have to get it wrong. And I hope I freaking hope that people see me get it wrong and then keep trying to learn and do better. Like I think as honestly as a white woman in America, I have to acknowledge when I mess up, when my privilege is showing, understand that I didn't understand and do the work to figure it out. But I feel like there is this this sort of way of being right now that it's like, if you get it wrong, like go just quit. Just stop. Just, just if your book flopped, then don't write another one. If you put out five pieces of content and nobody cared, then that should be it. If you say something that you shouldn't have said, like, but my God, how are we going to improve? How will we evolve as human beings if we're not willing to get it wrong? Mm -hmm. And honestly, as painful as that experience was, and it was so painful because my worst nightmare is hurting someone, especially without intention, like all of that. But I freaking have, I am a, like, I'm a different mom because of that experience. I've had my, two of my best girlfriends are black women and like have had to have the hardest, most painful conversations with them and how that has evolved our friendship because of that, what it looks like to have your kid come home from middle school and be like, oh, I saw a YouTube video where someone was making fun of you. Like that, as a mom, that's devastating. But then, okay, great. Let's have a conversation about what it looks like for us to have privilege and own that. And like all of it, it's a big, painful, like mistake. And I could see that as a failure and I could literally, and I think plenty of people do, just stop trying to learn or close themselves off and man, I'm never going to get better as a human being if I don't go through that process, all of us. So I guess I just have, um, I really, oh, this is going to sound like a bumper sticker, but I really, I only think it's a failure if I didn't learn from the process. Mm -hmm. And that goes for books or content or podcasts or relationships, any of it. Um, You know, when I got divorced, I got such awful backlash from so many people and you know, that my marriage failed. I'm like, my marriage is a massive success. Mm -hmm. Four beautiful kids, four kids through foster care, 18 years together, like beautiful memories, grew so much, dear friends, still raising a family to get like, that's not a failure. Maybe that's your definition of failure. That's not mine. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I guess maybe the advice I would give in this is if we could all be more graceful with ourselves and redefine like earnestly and humbly um, go into situations where you're really, your intention is to grow. I mean, I told you my number one value in life is growth. Mm-hmm. 
And I will tell you that when you call that shot, you know, I've, I've for years, I've had, I have, I'm a nerd. And so I have written down all my core values. Um, but if that's your, yeah, if that's your <laughs> defining core value, it's the same sort of thing. Like, all right, the universe is going to give you some opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that is the most important piece is that you have to redefine what failing is. Yeah. I mean, failing is getting to the end of my life and not having tried and not having written these stories down in my head because I was worried about what people would think of me for, you know, wanting to write about superheroes or mm-hmm. wanting to make a movie. Like who freaking cares? Mm-hmm. Because I think that when you get to the end of your life, you're the only one there. It's just yeah. you, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I don't want to get there and think like, oh, I could have. I could have done that thing or I might have had that or maybe there was more work for me to do, but I was so scared of what people would think mm-hmm. or I was so scared of getting it wrong that I just thought it was better not to try. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. By yeah. The way. I think it's, yeah. it's amazing just hearing someone go through a difficult time personally, professionally, and right. then to share in the way you have. And you know, it's, it's hard because it's, it's that balance between what you've just said is it's that balance between being humble enough to learn from others. Right. But there's a part of you when you're creating yeah. to not get tied up in people's opinions. Right. So it's like knowing, like, for example, when you make a mistake, yeah. to be able to learn from it. And, you know, I think about it. I've made so many mistakes. I'm not perfect. And and often when you're trying to teach the challenges right. that, yeah, it's you're on a pedestal now yes. and, and it's difficult to then make right. mistakes. Yes. But we're trying to learn yes. as we're trying yes. to help. And there's yeah. no, you know, like, I, I don't think... I don't think anyone on the planet is perfect yeah. and I don't think we should aspire for it. And I don't think there's anyone who gets anything right all the time. Yeah. And I think my best girlfriend, we talked a lot about this. She does a ton of work in um, racial reconciliation and mm-hmm. understanding diversity and it's it's what her training is in. And um, she had this great line where she was like, Rachel, there's a difference between your intent and your impact. Mm -hmm. Those are two completely different things. Like your intent was this, but the impact was this. And in you not knowing that the impact would be this, that is the definition of your privilege. And like you not being aware of that thing. So there was- That's so well explained. I love that. That's that's a really great definition. Because I think what, I definitely had a moment of getting trapped in this narrative and I'm sure other people do too, is you're like, but- I wasn't, that wasn't what I, and it's like, no, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter what you said. It matters what they heard, right? And like, Mm -hmm. if you care about the community and what you're trying to do and the work that you're putting out in the world and you did hurt someone, it doesn't matter what the intent was. Mm -hmm. It only matters what it felt like to them. And Mm -hmm. so I have to own that and hold space for it and learn from it and grow and all of that. Um, but I'm curious then how, what that looks like for you as a creator. I was talking to Trent about this too. And I think a lot of us in this space, like we've all been in social for a long time. Mm-hmm. We all built our careers in it. Mm-hmm. And I think what is maybe hard to understand, um, unless you kind of were back at the beginning is I'm guessing for you, I know this is true for me and Trent, we sort of almost like a comedian working out a joke at the local bar. We worked out our bigger form content in social posts. Mm-hmm. So you would sort of like have an, an idea mm-hmm. and you'd put it out there. You'd throw it out. You didn't give it a ton of thought. You'd just be like, here's this thought, yeah, right? Yeah. 
And then based on the feedback, maybe you'd have a, a dialogue with your community or something would like go wild. You were like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that to go viral. It was sort of how we learned what to do longer form or what to like evolve and make bigger. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel like it is a possibility anymore. I don't yeah. know if you feel like that. Yeah. First of all, when we, when we first started, like, you didn't know, you didn't try, you don't try to make something go viral. No. You just, yeah, you right. just, you create something yeah. that you really value and believe yeah. in and you like and you enjoy and it's, and you put it out there and yeah. then you see the feedback and then people like it or, you know, whatever, they don't like it. And to me, it was always, you know, I was always looking out for like, where's the positive energy? Where's the positive comments? Because I'm trying to put, so my intent was positive. Yeah. And when the impact was positive, yeah. more than, uh, critical or like, oh, we don't like your hair or you pronounce words weird or, uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? Like when it was that kind of stuff, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to keep trying my best with my intent and hope. And I think that now I'm trying to do that more and more. And I think what I've, and you've said this, and this is where I think we're, we're aligned on this is I've gone from living a life where all that mattered to me growing up was being educated because that's how I was raised. And I was very fortunate enough to go to great educational institutions and none of them were paid for it. They were just exam-based and study-based and academic. And then I went off and lived as a monk. And that was completely the opposite because I gave up all my job offers and work and then I was a monk for three years. And then I've left, went back into the world of business and then now married and an entrepreneur and everything else. And I feel the most myself today mm. with my hair like this. And I'm, <laughs> I, because we're joking, rather, my hair like this, wearing the clothes that I wear, yeah. living in the way I, I feel the most myself today. Yeah. And there's a bit of monk in there. There's a bit of management in there. There's a bit of business in there. There's a bit of academic in there. There's a bit of uh, hopeless romantic in there, which I've always been my whole life. And that's who I am. And I just want to. I know that I struggle with having to choose mm. because I don't want to choose it. So I'm trying, I think is the answer to be more and more putting out all elements of myself. Yeah. And that can often be difficult for people because people go, well, Jay, you're the monk. How are you the right. entrepreneur? Right. And I'm like, I used to be a monk. And this is what I learned right. from being a monk that right. I practice today every day. But hey, this is what I love about entrepreneurship yes. and business yes. and strategy. And, right. and I love both. And I always say to people, like, you can't have strategy without sincerity. And you can't have spirituality without um, strategy. And you can't have uh, data without intuition. You, you yes. need both. Yes. And I, I feel like I'm being forced sometimes to pick. Yes. Like, Jay, are you, are you going to be the monk or are you going to be this? And I'm like... Well, I am. There are yeah. parts of me that are still monk-like. I'm yes. not a monk. Of course, I'm married. Uh, there are parts of me that are, I always say you can think like a monk and not live like a monk. So there are parts of me that still think like a monk, but there are parts of me that think like an entrepreneur right. and think like a strategist. And and that makes me happy and I feel fulfilled and I feel real honest to myself. Yeah. So I don't know if that even answers totally. your question, but I do think, I'm allowing myself yeah. to be... Like, it's what you're saying. If I want to, I'm, and I'm not going to do this, don't worry, anyone. If I wanted to be an athlete, like a soccer player, which has always been my number one love in terms of sport, I want to go and be a soccer player. Like, yeah. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm yes. not going to try. But <laughs> but I'm going to try because if that's what I want to be and express myself in that way, yeah. then why not? Yeah. Like, so anyway, I've got to a point where I don't want to limit myself as to how I express myself. 
and I'm trying to reconnect with that and I'm trying to be comfortable with that and it's uncomfortable. It is. Because often you feel forced and squashed. Well, and I think that people feel that even outside of social, they definitely feel that in their very real lives that it's sort of like, well, you're- You're an the, accountant. Yeah, why you're do you think you can also play guitar? Like why? And the reality is that the most beautiful versions of ourselves are, are they're whole. Mm-hmm. They're, they're many mm-hmm. parts of us. It's not just this sort of one area. And I do think that, there is this desire on social or this thing that comes through and this exists with the with the community and it also exists with the algorithm frankly mm-hmm. that they want you to stay in your lane yes they yes, want right. you oh but you're if like if you and i put something on social and we're using words that the algorithm is used to seeing us use that's going to get shown to more people than if you're talking about right, work yeah, or business yeah. or whatever and so there's all of these things that again it's these points of tension yes. of yeah you could be really happy like i i i could keep writing girl wash your face mm-hmm. over and over and over and make a crap ton of money and have that be my life forever. Mm-hmm. I, and and there are people who do that and that's amazing and, and awesome. But because I started and writing was never supposed to be my job, I never want it to be about what is going to make the most money or what is the box that I can check. I mean, mm-hmm. my last book was, I mean, you know, God bless the publisher was like, okay, you want to write a book about grief and pain when I'm known for writing things that are funny. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you're going to come out of nowhere with this book about all of these hard things. And that book did nothing compared to what the two books before it did. But I would rather, um, oh, there, uh, Casey Musgraves has this great line in one of her songs where she says, I'd rather lose for who I am than win for who I ain't. Mm. Like I'd rather like line. get it wrong in your eyes, but I showed up as myself yeah. than keep doing the thing that the world wants me to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I I love that. And I think that as a fan of yours, and I think like any fan, anybody in your community, like you want to see the whole, you want to see all the parts of it, right? Yeah, like yeah. the people we admire, really, we want to see all of who they are as a person, yeah. not just like what's the PR spin on yeah. your life. And, and my biggest thing of that is like, I think, when you allow yourself to have that opportunity, you allow others in your life. And when you allow others to have that opportunity, you allow yes. yourself. And yeah. I think the more, you know, does that make sense? Yes. Like usually what happens is we project. So if we feel we're not allowed to be all of ourselves, right. we don't let anyone, including our kid. And by the way, uh, this doesn't just transfer over to your partner or a friend or someone who follows you on social media. It transfers over to everyone in your life because you can't suddenly not live a value. Yes. Right? You either live a value and it transfers and cascades all over your life or you don't live a value and it doesn't cascade. Yeah. And so if you live the value that I don't allow myself to be fully myself, you're not going to let your wife, your husband, your partner, your kids, your parents, your aunts, your uncles, whoever it is, Mm -hmm. be themselves fully. Yeah. Or... Alternatively, if you go around saying, well, that person is that person and they're not that, you're then blocking your own self yeah. from being two things. And I think that's where, that's what it always hits me by. I'm like, we, me and my friend were talking yesterday and we were having a very frank and honest conversation about another one of our mutual friends who's struggling. Mm-hmm. And it was so easy because those conversations so often roll into judgment mm. and criticism and feeling holier than thou and like, mm-hmm. oh, at least we don't have that problem. Yeah. And it's crazy because you can do that by people you know. 
And me and him just sat down and I, and I said, look, what I want to do actually to grow this conversation, and you said a value is growth. I said, I actually want to talk about all my flaws right now mm. in this area. Because I was like, only if we do that, yeah. will I not walk away from this conversation thinking I'm better. Yes. Because if I think I'm better, guess what? I don't have to become or grow right. anymore. Because I already right. think I made it just by talking about someone. Yeah. And so we spent the rest of the conversation really talking about our own challenges and impediments and flaws in, in that particular area we were discussing. We just realized, I was like, I'm just, that person just doesn't know about yeah. my flaws. Yeah. Right? So. Well, I think this too with kids is it has always been so important for me as a mom to give my kids autonomy over themselves. Yeah. Um, like they can wear whatever they want. They're so they fun show to watch. They are, they're so they, fun to watch. Like, they're so adorable. I have to good. say, like, they're anyway, good sorry. Kids. Yeah. No, they're yeah, good. They're adorable. Yeah. Um, like my oldest is in middle school and he is so himself. Like he wore a revolutionary wig to his school pictures. He like shops at the Goodwill and like wears funny t- And I just never had that kind of confidence at 14 years old. He's so himself. And I was really conscious of that. I wanted it for them, but mostly I felt like if they had autonomy over who they were, they would give it to others. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I grew up in a, a really religious, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Like I grew up in a really religious um, home and environment and city. And it was very much like we know the right way to be. And mm. if you're not this way, you're wrong. Mm. And I just never wanted my kids to have that. I want them to believe that everybody is valuable and good and cool and has potential and gets to do and be whoever they are. Um, so yeah, I love when he was like, can I get a wig for, I was like, yes, <laughs> every year, this should just be the thing, yeah. man. Like, let's go. And that starts there with wigs. And autonomy and then leads to forgiveness. Like yes. if I can forgive myself, right. I'm more likely to forgive others. Right. If I forgive others, I'm more likely to forgive myself. Yep. And that just becomes a value of life. And I think that the mind always wants to like pick holes and do this and do that. And, it, and it's like, but we do the same with ourselves. That's right. why we all judge ourselves right. so much. Well, I'm uh, to be totally honest, I was brutally hard on myself when that happened. Like I was maybe the lowest I've ever been in my adult life. I'm for real. And, um, I, because I just felt so ashamed. Like I, I can't imagine hurting someone like, you know, you know how much this work takes and how hard this is and showing up and doing all this, these things with the intention of putting goodness out into the world and positivity. And, um, the worst for me was feeling like, Um, I've worked so hard to create a safe space for my community and having people who felt like it wasn't safe anymore. Mm. Like, because I showed up in a way that was different than what felt safe or right to them. And I just was, I was devastated. I was heartbroken. Um, And I spent for real, like a few weeks, just like wallowing. There's no other way to say it. I was just wallowing in misery and so ashamed, so mad at myself. And then one day I was like, this is not helpful this is not helping anybody. Like you're just feeding into your own narrative. You're feeling sorry for yourself. You're like spinning out. You're all of this. And so you have to own, yes, like in life, sometimes you will make a mistake. You will hurt someone else. Like you have to own this. You have to hold space for this. And you have to learn from this experience or it was all wasted. Mm -hmm. Like it was all for nothing. All of this pain, all of these people that you hurt, this way that you felt embarrassing your kids, embarrassing your best friends, like all of this stuff. You have to hold this and learn from it or it was for nothing. Mm. And 
it took, I mean, I, I just, I, I want to say that because I don't want anyone to think like, oh, you flip a switch and then you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was talking earlier about transitions for me are about allowing myself mm-hmm. to feel it. Points of tension. Yeah, I needed a few weeks to like be a weenie and then I had to like, okay, time to grow. Yeah. Like yeah, time which makes to learn, sense. That's right? what you're saying, that that level of like sitting in the pain. Yeah is all proportionate to how big you think the impact yeah. ended up being on yes. others, right? Like yes. it's like if something has massively impacted others, yes. it is going to take a deeper, right. longer process right. of reflection to grow yes. through. Yeah. And so it's yes. it's in proportion to the impact. Yes. And I think in those situations, I don't know if you've ever gone through something like this, everybody wants like what's what are you gonna say or what's yeah. the statement or make a podcast or whatever. And I just I kept telling everyone like it would be disingenuous. Yeah. It would be- At the time. Right. Like if I don't actually learn from that, I can't show you what you need to see, right? Like I can write a perfectly, you know, appropriate response, right? We can all do that. We can write the thing and put it out in the world or I can actually yeah. learn. I can actually grow. And you can see, I hope, the evolution as I continue to grow as a woman and a, and a, and a sister and a friend and a mama, like- I, I want you to see through action, mm-hmm. like who I am, not because I just really quickly like gave you the answer. I just, it, yeah. So it was not a fast process yeah. and it did involve a, a lot of self, like, yeah, you, you're going to have to forgive yourself because yeah. you're never going to get better in this. And um, if you don't. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's what happens, right? It's like the world's forcing us. Uh, to provide an answer, but it's actually the behavior that is yes. is what yeah. is what we're working on, yeah. and that's always what I found. Like for me, it's always been about like, well, what do I need to change? What do I need right. to figure out? What do I... that's always been my focus because yeah. that's what actually is the what the universe is trying yeah. to tell me to do. Yeah. Um. So well, it's sort of that. I oh, there's some quote, and I don't know who said it, and I'm going to butcher this one too. But it's essentially like an apology without action or an apology without change is empty, that it's mm. not real. Mm. You know, if you have someone in your life who is, I think we do this in relationships all the time. They're like, they say they're sorry. I'm sorry that I did this thing, but there's no change. Mm-hmm. They're not, then it's not actually real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it's a really powerful um, thing to process, whether you're, you know, guiding your kids through an issue with their friends or you're dealing with this in your marriage or whatever it looks like. If you continue to do the same thing that someone has said, this is hurting me, like I'm going to continue to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my life, of course, I'm going to continue to make mistakes because I'm going to keep trying. Mm -hmm. And if you're continuing to try, you're going to continue to make mistakes. It's just what it is. But if you've told someone, like if my community says to me, Rachel, you said this thing and this was hurtful Mm. and this made us feel these ways and I don't change based on that, then I was never really sorry. If you told your partner that, um, you know, when they lose their temper or they do these things or they have too much to drink or they're smoking or whatever and that it is hurtful to you and it's sincere and you have a conversation and they say they're sorry, and they keep doing it again and yeah. again and again, it's not a real apology. Yeah. And so I do think that there's something we, that we need to hold on to of like, what does it look like in our lives to actually make change based on what we said or who we said we didn't want to be? Like yeah. it's as important to know who you don't want to be as this person that you do want to reach for. Yeah, I, re- I remember I started in my spiritual community. I started... Uh, 
mentoring young men quite early on. And I remember saying to all of them, and I still say this to people when I coach them today or when I work with people, like one of the first things I say to them after we've agreed to work together or, or connect is, is always just know that I will let you down. Mm. And, and they'll always just, it's, it was really useful to me to see their response. Mm. And I'll say, I will let you down. Not because I don't care, not because I don't love you, not because I don't want you to be your best, not because I want that to happen, but because I'm human. Yeah. That will happen. Yeah. And if you're okay with that, then this is, this is real. Right. But if you have some other expectation, then this is actually not going to work. Yeah. And, and it's been really interesting to me. I remember when I first used to say that I was probably like 22 or something. And and there were some people who who changed their mind about me being their mentor wow. based on that. And yeah. I used to be like, this is great. Yeah, because now we know. <laughs> now we know. At least we're both safe. Like yeah. they're safe now because I've told them the reality of it. And and I'm safe now because I feel and so that's always been my approach to it is just just being okay with that yeah. and, and putting it out there and just, you know, not having any other false expectations. Yeah. So. I'm curious. Um I'm jump. I have just a question for you. Um, I was curious as you were talking about that because I know you do mentor and you coach a lot, and that mixed with what you're doing in the wider community in on social and um, you know with videos and podcasts and all of it. How do you maintain your own energy in the midst of giving so much to other people? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> you're like so, it's a million dollar no, question. No, no, it's no, and it's. As in, this is the obvious answer, but it's true and it's the start, it's ongoing, like it's every day, yeah. right? So me and my wife had a conversation this weekend and she was just like to me, uh, and my wife's great at this, and she was just like, I think you need to recommit to these practices, like mm. to do them deeper, yeah. to do them better. And my ego was just like, all right. Like, you know, you want to just, <laughs> you just want to be like, well, I do all this and yes. I do this. And I was just like, nope, take it seriously. Right. And then I recommitted to certain practices and behaviors that I may not have been doing with as much depth. And I feel so much better for it. Right. And so I think having a wife that is really grounded and rooted is is huge. Mm -hmm. And so that's just a blessing and I lucked out. But having that is so important. Uh, I think another thing for me, which is probably like the biggest thing is my, I, I still speak a lot to my monk mentors and they are just so not interested in anything I do externally. <laughs> and I remember my you know, one of my monk teachers, he said to me, he said, he, he asked me a question. He said, what are you up to? This was probably about, I don't know, maybe like three years ago. And he was like, well, what are you doing? And so I gave him a long list of like all the cool stuff I was doing. And, and he said something really powerful to me. He said, you know, for all of this, I have no expectation. And he said, he said, I have no expectation for what you do in all of this. He goes, I simply demand the purity of your heart. And it was just like, <laughs> it was one of those moments where like my heart sank, like, yeah. And, and it was like a punch in the gut. And I was just like, oh, but it's so much easier to give you all this. Like yes. it's so much easier to offer mm. all of this. Uh, and I think that happens in relationships. I think uh, at least the men that I know are always thinking, oh, but I'm doing all of this. Yes. And their partner's just like, but I just want to feel loved. Right. I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. And and the men in my life and me, it's very easy to be like, no, but we're doing all of this. Yeah. And so you want to be the magician because that's actually easier like it's actually easier to yes. do that than do this. And yes. so having my monk teachers in my life has been a really great one because they're just so oblivious to everything and so above and beyond all of this world that they're just a good reminder. Uh, and and I think, like you're right, failures and mistakes keep you on the path. Yeah, so they're, they're sure. another one. Like that's yeah. partly why they're there. 
And I really spend a lot of time alone. Yeah. Like I really, that's my biggest one for regenerating yes. energy. And I think people find it uncomfortable because, and I'm really honest with people. I had a friend, I have a friend staying with me right now who yeah. opened the door for you, yeah. by the way. And he's such a sweet guy. He's been Do one you of- only allow beautiful people around you, by the way? <laughs> because between you and your wife and that guy who opened the door, I was like, what is happening? He's my wife's best. They basically grew up together. Their mom's are best friends. So and cool. when he's in LA, he stays with us. But he's been trying to get us to, so he's always like, can you come visit me? Can you come do this? And I'm always honest with him because he's such a close friend and he lives with us when he's in LA. So I spend plenty of time with him, but I'm always just like, I can't because if I got that time that you want me to come and spend with you, I'm going to take that for myself. Yeah. And it's so awkward and uncomfortable to say it to people, but I've got so used to it. Today I got a message from someone and they were just like, I'd love to spend more time with you. And I messaged them back saying, I would too, but my schedule just won't allow it. Yes, and yeah. when it does, I'll reach out. Yeah. And I know you do this. Yes. Similar story. And it's like, I really love time alone and I crave it and I seek it. And I, it's such a big part of my DNA that I will, I recharge alone. I can't recharge around people. And when y'all started dating, were you really upfront with her about that? Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's so important because it's like you're establishing those boundaries in the beginning. So there is an expectation of, I have the same way, I love being alone. And so does my, I don't know why I'm referencing (laughs) the ceiling. So does God. So does my boyfriend. Like he also really likes to, and that was one of the first conversations we had was sort Mm. of like, we're going to love this time together and we're going to be really honest about when we do need to decompress. And there are definitely times where um, he'll have come back from a trip and I want to like, tackle him immediately and he'll be like I need a day yes and yeah. it like I'm sad because I yeah. want to see him but I also totally respect and get it and that was something that we established from the very beginning mm-hmm. is that like when you're coaching people do you ever give advice on if you've never established a boundary yes. and maybe it's being alone or whatever it looks like for you how do you establish a boundary when you haven't done it before with yeah I, I think it's exactly what you just said like it is just a status update like right. it is like saying like this is a new thing right. for me and by the way it doesn't mean I love you less right it's it's saying what it doesn't mean yes as much as it, yes. what it means to you and I think the mistake we do we lo- we say this means so much to me yes I want you to value it because it's important to me yes and we negate how it is important to them yes so if we say oh how it's relevant to them so if I had a new update for Radhi and Riley had a new update for me actually today. But if, if I had a new update for her, I would say to her, Riley, I have this new update and I just want you to know this does not mean I don't love you. Yeah. This does not mean I don't care, with, care for you. It doesn't mean that I don't love spending time with you. It just means I'm exhausted. Yeah. That's what this means. Yeah. And that helps someone rather than saying, you know what, I'm so overworked and I've been doing so much that I need this time. Yes. And that person's going, oh, so you'd rather have that time than time with me. Yes. And that's what they're thinking. Yeah. And so you can help the person with their thought process by answering all their unsaid questions yeah. without them saying it. So it obviously doesn't always work out that perfectly. Yeah. But I think that it's a status update and you can change. I yeah. think at the beginning of lockdown, Radhi and I had completely different expectations than we've ever had before. I because bet, we've yeah. never lived together for this long yeah. in one place. Yeah. And so we had to set new boundaries about cleanliness, about chores, about housekeeping, all that kind of yeah. stuff that we haven't had to do for a long time because we're always moving around. Yeah. And so I think every time there's a change or a transition or a point of tension, it's because you haven't made someone aware of your new priority. Right. And right. and how it affects them. Yeah. It's, it's the same as us doing things like going on tour or writing a book. Like 
I always preempt. I'll always say to we've been talking about like we haven't seen our family for a long time. Yeah. And so we've been trying to go back to London and me and Radhi have been talking yeah. about it. And I like I was like, but if we go back then, we have this priority. And so we're thinking ahead. And I'm like, just so you know, this is what we plan to do in September. Yeah. I I just don't think there's any substitute for being honest upfront and and resetting your actual needs. Yes. As opposed to pretending. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then expecting the person to know you're stressed out and then figure it out. Right. And that's a long answer to right. No, question. and I think it's a it's sort of like a habit or a muscle to build like anything yeah. else that if you haven't done it before, it is really hard to learn to say no. Yeah. And to allow yourself to frustrate people or have them be disappointed or maybe even hurt their feelings unintentionally. Yeah. Because you need to hold that space for yourself. Yeah. Because I I am so with you. If you are doing something where you're serving other people, you're around a lot of other energy or however that is, you have to have that time where you go sort of refill in whatever way makes the most sense for you. Totally. Um, because I think that other people will we we see life right as as we are, not as it actually is. And so even um, what I think of is like, when I'm going through a hard season, if I'm going through grief or when I went through the divorce, anytime I'm going through something hard, I want to be alone. Yeah, I do not want to be around and it is how I process. Yes, And I have girlfriends who they process grief or pain in groups. Yes. And so yes. all they want to do in the world is bring me soup or <laughs> wine or sit with me or yeah. talk it out. Yeah. And it is so hard to navigate. They're really trying to love you well and they're yeah. trying to love you in the way that makes sense to them and having to be so clear about thank you and I love you and I promise you I'm going to call when I'm ready, but this is how I need to handle these things. Yes. Um, and yes. it you are allowed to do those processes exactly how it works for you. And it's n- not selfish. Yeah, and I think that that's what is put on most of us is that you wanting time alone away from your wife or me wanting time alone away from my kids, that that would be a selfish choice because totally. you're not showing up for those other people. When the reality is none of us can serve those we love well <clears throat> if we're depleted. Totally. I feel like I want to, and I also want to give my best to people. Right. So you're just exhausted and drained. I, I think about it like Gary Chapman's love languages. Yes. It's almost like this is pain languages. Right. Like how do you process pain? Yes. And like, I know that Radhi likes to have, spe- if we're having an argument, Radhi will want to have space and time to reflect. Yeah. And I want to talk it out. <laughs> like I'm like, all right, let's Verbal figure this out. Yeah. Let's, like, let's figure this out. And she's like, I just don't want to, I need to just think about it. Like yeah. I just need to reflect and think, otherwise I'm going to say something I don't want to say and whatever yes. it is. And it took me a while to realize that that wasn't because she didn't care. I'd always be like, you don't want to talk about it because you don't care as much as right. I do. And that's the problem. Right. You see it as a sign of care. Yes. I go, oh, just because you don't want to talk about it right now, that means you don't care about this relationship as much as I do. Yeah. This is not true. Yeah. You you care about it as much as I do. Yeah. That's why you don't want to that's talk about it. That's why you're being intentional. Exactly. Yeah. And what I is really, your love language, by the way? My love language is, okay, so <laughs> I, I, it's adapted. And I've talked about this. So my top love language, and I realized it was from when I was growing up, was gifts. Mm-hmm. And it was because my mom, we didn't have a lot, but when we were growing up on my birthday, my mom would always get me the one gift Aww. that I'd always wanted yeah. all year. And it was such a big moment. And she'd always surprise me 
But here's where it got interesting. I realized that the value was not gifts. It was surprises. Oh, It cool. wasn't the actual thing. Yes. It was the feeling that someone had thought about me yes. in, in like yes. disguise and then made me feel special. So it was surprise. I put surprise at the top, but it's gifts in the five. Yes. Uh, and then the other one has always been words of affirmation. Yeah. I think words of affirmation is huge for me. Yeah. It took me ages for my ego to admit that. Yeah. Uh, because it felt so like, oh, that's so lame. Like I want to be told like how... <laughs> And I was like, no, I actually really like to be told by the people I love how yeah. I make them feel. Like, yes. Yeah. And, and that's great. Like, because yeah. I'm good at giving words of affirmation too. And I want that. So those are my top yeah, two. I yeah. Love how about that. yours? So it's interesting. Mine was words of affirmation forever. Yeah. And then, however this sounds, but when my career really exploded beginning of 2018, um, all I got were words. Yes. And so it sort of stopped having meaning. I agree. That makes sense. Um, and so my number one now is acts of service. Mm -hmm. Like if you bring me a cup of coffee, if you, um, you know, help with the dish, like if you just do something that's really helpful, that is, it just makes me feel so taken care of and yeah. loved and appreciated. I just, that's, that's a big one for me. And interestingly, um, when I first went on, like when I first started hanging out with the guy, um, I was explaining to him what, what love languages were because he'd never heard of it. Because you know me. I don't know if you yeah. do this, but I'm like, what's your Enneagram yeah. number? Yeah. Well, I need to know everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a three. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. a three, too. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Are yeah. you a three, four or three, two? I'm a three, two. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm a three, four. Yeah. Um, so- we're walking and I'm trying to explain all these things. And I, with love languages, you don't need to take a test. You can no, tell someone and they're yeah, like, I'm yeah. that. So he's like, oh, I'm words of affirmation. So I'm thinking, great, that, yeah. that feels whatever. And then as every time we would hang out, he would be like, oh, I saw this and I thought of you. Or yeah. like, oh, you said you like this kind of coffee or what? Every time he'd show up at my house with just some little thing. Yeah. And I was like, no, you're gifts. Yeah. You're not words, yeah. you're gifts. Cause he just did it always. And on a random whatever, I like showed up at his house one day with coffee and he acted like I had brought him a million dollars. And oh, I was like, oh, uh, your gifts. Yeah, <laughs> buddy, this is actually what you care. So yeah. here's how it, but it's just such a powerful tool for friends or even members of your team to understand yeah. how to like love them well and lead yeah. them well. And doing um, it for pain too. That's why I yeah. think we've uncovered what, yeah. what you're saying today. Like knowing that, oh, when we're in pain. Yes, Rachel needs space, yes. but Rachel's friends need to talk yes. in a group. And yeah. this friend needs two friends. This friend needs drinks right. and a party and right. 10 friends. Right, like, distraction yeah, distra or whatever. whatever yeah. it is. And, and like we judge how we process pain and how we want to be loved. Yes. And it's it's not selfish, yeah. it's it's real. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that we stumbled upon that yeah. because- It's a good one. Maybe that's languages. your next book. Pain <laughs> languages, yeah. No, I, I don't, yeah, it's just, I, I do think there's something about- learning how people process pain yeah. and, and being okay with how they want to do it, yes. which is beautiful. Yeah. And not making that process, not making their process of pain about you. Yes. Because we yeah. do do that all the time. It's like you were saying earlier about someone wanting space or someone asking to hold a boundary yeah. and you somehow making that about them and yeah. what you need in this process. Or um, I think this a lot in a new relationship because my, um, do you know about uh, attachment? Yes, yes, yeah, okay. yeah, attachment styles. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm anxious attachment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which there's is not, avoidant, anxious, and, and 
whatever's the just positive like one, chill. The good one, <laughs> the neutral. Right. I there's one more that's meant to be the It's pos- like healthy. The good, I don't know yeah, what it's called. Yeah, there's one that's meant to be the good one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we, we know the ones right. that don't because I'm avoid. <laughs> I'm anxious. And he's like, whatever the chill one is, yeah, he's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. chill and happy yeah. and fine. And I'm anxious about everything. And I do, if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're listening to this, you got to look it up. There's a yeah. great book called I think it's Attach- called the attachment style. Attachments. Or attached. 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 I think so it's called good, attached. So good, fast yeah. read, yeah. and it just will really be helpful for you. He would do something or ask for something, and I would be like, oh, he doesn't <laughs> like me anymore. <laughs> I said something soon, whatever. And so what's really helpful for me when I'm having those moments, or just I think this in life, is just to ask, like, act as if or give the benefit of the doubt or what if what they're saying is actually totally truthful. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. certainly there are times in life where we're interacting with someone and our intuition is telling us this is not a mm-hmm. good person. There's something wrong here. You need to listen to that. But I do think when it's sort of my mind running away with me, that it has been so helpful to just, hey, Rach, act as if mm-hmm. this person is good mm-hmm. and honest and and mature and has done a lot of therapy and is literally just telling you what they yeah, need yeah. instead of playing games with you. Yeah. Um, because you have no reason to believe otherwise. And that can shut off my anxiety about that moment or me making it about me mm. that fast. Cause I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, you're being ridiculous. Knock it off. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think there are, there are certain things like the love languages attached, the attachment styles. Like if you know them, in an early stage in a relationship yes, for you yeah. and your partner, it can save you so much so time much and effort. Time. And unfortunately, we feel geeky or cheesy or lame to talk about these things, but it's like, that's actually what's going to help. Yes. Because if you know your partner has an anxious attachment style, you're now going to be more conscious of that. Yes. You're going to know how to behave with them and speak to them in their language in a yes. way that's going to help them feel secure. Right. I think it's called secure. No, I think it's called attached. It's no, something- no, no, no. I think it's called the oh, secure, secure attachment style. Yeah. I think it's attached, avoidant, and, and secure. secure. I think yes. that's the word. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. I think You're that's totally the word. Correct. Yeah, that's the third word. Secure. Like, and, and But that's the whole point, right? It's like if you know that someone is an avoidant pers- personality type, attachment type, you know how to make them feel more secure. Yes. Now, rather yeah. than being like, oh, they're just weird or yes. they've got something wrong with them. Or- right. You know, right. all those terms. Well, I, it's interesting. Have you ever, I don't know if this sort of falls into I feel like realm. we read all the same books. But I go know. On, go on. Um, do you know, um, um, is it Tim Grover? Tim Grover, yeah. So I am not into sports, mm-hmm. but I love understanding how athletes at the highest level function. I'm just fascinated yeah. by it. Don't know anything about football. Love, it is another level of- Right, yeah, like Tom Brady, yes. right? I don't, so if people, I don't know anything about football, but- how in the world at his age and even more importantly and more impressive to me is how can you have won that much and still have the drive to keep yeah. winning? Like yeah. I'm fast, And with a new team. Oh my new gosh. Like fascinated by what it takes because I think if you've ever pushed to sort of a high level in your career, let's say, or maybe for an athlete or whatever, what you understand is that Staying at that level or even evolving past that level is a million times harder than it was to get there. Mm. It's so much more difficult because it takes like something other. And so Mm. I'm fascinated by uh, Kobe or Michael Jordan or just Serena Williams. Like how in the hell do they maintain? So 
I don't know if you'd like these books because they're pretty intense, but I love Tim Grover's work. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was I interviewed him the other day and I was geeking out so hard. And I was telling him that the first time I read uh, his first book, which is called Relentless, which is this pers- relentless pursuit of excellence and trying so hard and whatever, I it was like a out-of-body experience. Like I felt like I was reading something I could have written. And yeah. I felt, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you're reading something or yeah. listening and you're like, I thought I was the only one. Yes. And he was explaining things that I just had never, sort of this sounds terrible and someone can do therapy with me later, but like that I would achieve something. And maybe you have a bit of this as an achiever, but I would achieve something and immediately what's the next thing Mm -hmm. that's done. Like Mm -hmm. we did it. What's the next Mm -hmm. thing? And, Mm -hmm. um, I, so I was reading this book and I loved it. It's the only time in my life I finished a book and immediately started it again. Wow. And I gave it to my ex-husband and we were married at the time. And I was like, this book explains me like, this is it. Read this book. And I was telling Tim that he, Dave was, Dave read it. And I remember him looking up and looking at me like I was an alien, Mm. like what the hell? Like what? And that's nothing against Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was telling Tim this, like, oh, as if I felt seen and like, and then he read it and looked at me like I was an alien. And Tim was like, oh, that's actually way more a reflection of you yeah, and you being in a relationship where your partner didn't know who you actually were. Yeah. Like that's way more telling about you than it is about him. Right, right. And I, part of that is we got together so young and I just had evolved so yeah, much. Yeah, you changed so much. Right, I mean, you right, can't, like, right. I mean, you were, but, how yeah. old were you when you first date, you said? I met him when I was 18. Yeah, so yeah. it's like at 18, you really do not know who you are. Yet. No. Like no one does. No. Like, yeah. um, but I just thought that was so interesting of how many times in relationships yeah. your your partner really sees you as who they think you are yes. instead of who you actually are. Yeah. And how much tension in a relationship happens because you're trying to be you and they think that you're actually this person. I don't know. I just, I thought that was so fascinating. Well, I think sometimes you're, and I'm so glad you brought this up uh, and I want to read that book. I think sometimes you actually are becoming more of the version they think you are. Mm. So you're, I think in a relationship often, like if your partner sees you as loving and caring and homemaking, you start becoming more of that to try and be who they love. And they do it back and that's considered a good thing. But actually what ends up happening is there's a whole part of you that's being underserved. Yes. And then when they discover that, they're like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. Yes. And, And I can relate to that. So because I met, me and Radhi met when I was 20, 21, Mm -hmm. but we started dating when I left being a monk, so I was 26. Okay. And so, but when I left being a monk, that's when I felt the most self-aware. So when I met Radhi, I was really clear. I was like, this is what I care about. My purpose comes first. This is where, yep. what I, and it wasn't about achievements. Like I didn't have like goals. It was more just like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm more likely to choose this over this if we had the choice. Yes. And and I remember having all it, and I have not changed a bit. Like I'm the exact same person and Radhi will testify to that. Which you were like, yeah, you're, you're the same guy I married, just maybe on steroids a bit, but <laughs> but like, you know, you're the same person. And Radhi's actually changed more. Mm. So Radhi's changed more. When I met Radhi, she was very much like, she just wanted to be a homemaker. Mm-hmm. And, be, and now it's like, she's like got her career yeah, growing. She's doing, she's doing really well. And it's, and I found that because I'm so 
still and steady in my space, I'm able to appreciate and support yeah. as opposed to feel threatened or scared or confused right. of like, you're not the person. Right. Because I'm seeing her go through what I went through back yes. then. And I'm seeing her find herself, yeah. which is actually so beautiful to watch, but it's only beautiful to watch if you're doing that yourself. Exactly. And otherwise it's really scary because your world starts to change, right? Yes. It's like your, your world's getting shaken. Yes. Because all of a sudden that, that person you thought was this is not that anymore. And I, I know for women in my community, especially, and I'm sure this happens with men, but I know with women, there's often this massive tension of their beginning to change and evolve and their partner, usually a man, yeah, yeah. is really struggling. And it's exactly what you're saying because that man maybe hasn't gone through his own evolution. And so she begins to change and he's terrified. So it's yeah. like, well, if you're going to change, are you going to change in such a way that you leave me behind? Totally. And then it's sort of like holding on tighter. And, uh, you know, uh, that honestly, that was a, a massive um, catalyst for why I'm not married today is, uh, I mean, there's a million factors, obviously, but he met an 18 year old. And when we got married, when I was 20, I guess. Yeah. Young, yeah. yeah. Um, I, all I wanted was to be his wife mm -hmm. and to have babies and to, that here's the home and I'm going to work, but obviously this is what it is. And that's sort of like who he signed on for. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, and yeah. he was a massive cheerleader of mine and a dear friend and whatever, but it just kept shifting. Yeah to such a place where it felt like in order for this thing to work, I had to keep pretending to still be that woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, like, she's gone. Yeah, she's yeah. so far gone and I can, like, play that role and I would play that role. But then there was um, so much resentment there mm -hmm. because I feel like, I'm trying to fit into a certain box in order to accommodate the vision that you have of yeah, me. Yeah. And then when I step outside of that box or I do something that feels threatening and mm -hmm. just is too much space to hold there. Yeah. So I, it's interesting. One of the things I hope most for my kids, and this is maybe a random thing, but I hope that they find the person that they want to partner with long-term later in their life. Mm -hmm. Like I hope that they have that time to yeah. figure out who they are in a way that I really didn't. And yeah. I think is very common in definitely like in Southern culture and sort of how I grew up. Young. Oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. heck yeah. Even in Indian culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you are growing up together, but that can cause tension if sort of one of you is growing in a way that the other is not. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah, and, and I'm so happy that like you said, like you've both, and you know, I, I love Dave. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm so happy that you've both seen how this isn't a failure. Oh, and, yeah. And your friendship and your yes. connection for your kids. Yeah. And just, I think it's, it's so beautiful to see that. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we need to stop seeing the end of things as failures. Right. It's like, do you see the end of your favorite show as a failure. Yeah. You don't. It's a yeah. celebration and there's nostalgia and you yeah. miss it. But it wasn't a failure because yeah. the show ended. Yes. There's no show with never ending seasons. There's shows that have eight seasons yeah. and four and 12. Well, also it's and crazy to think that success is length of time. To, oh, which is terrible. So it's a terrible metric. Relationship. Like terrible we metric all know for a relationship. people who've been together for 25 years and they're miserable. Terrible metric for a relationship. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I, when, when Bill and Melinda divorced recently. Yes. And Melinda Gates- I don't Gates, know why I said that, like I know them. Yeah, no, yes. no, neither do I. I don't know them either. <laughs> uh, but when Melinda Gates said that, and this, you know, I'm, again, I'm not commenting on their 
anything else. I don't know them. I'm just commenting on this one statement. Yeah. Uh, she said that, you know, we realized we had nothing more to learn from each other. Oh, wow. And I was just like, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what a great, and you know, it was like the picture that had been put up in the press was like a broken glass picture of their marriage. Right. I was like, come on. Like, yeah. That's actually a really good lesson. Like yeah. if we're not learning from each other, then we probably shouldn't be together. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just, I love that you guys have found that way. Yeah. And it makes me really happy as, you know, as, as a friend of both of yours yeah. and, and seeing well, that and just and seeing how wonderful you all both are independently too. Yes. And I think like, it's so rad um, watching him in his new relationship, truly. Like from the beginning, I'm just like, hell yeah. Like, I think it would be really surprising to people how much we sort of talked about that or what it looks like. And to, I think there's something so beautiful about, him having someone who is meeting him as he is today. Mm. And because that's a gift for me in my life, this man met me right now, yeah. not 20 year old version, like yeah. 20 years ago, me, but like who I am right now today, this is who he's getting to meet. And the same for Dave and having a girlfriend who's just like, you're the best yeah. and this is awesome. And it's so cool to see him have someone who like shares his hobbies and the things that he's into, whatever, like, look at this. Yeah, this is yeah. so great. Um, so yeah, I just, I refuse to see it as something that's bad because I think, my God, it has been such a ride and we will be family for the rest of our lives. We of have course, four kids. Course, like we're yeah. a family. We're yeah. about to have a crazy Thanksgiving with like- <laughs> I love it. His girlfriend, all her family, my like all, yeah. it's just, we're- Figuring it out. I love that. Um, and there's something beautiful about that process. But I don't think that's possible if you sort of see it all as this negative thing or this it all went awry or it all went badly. And it's not to say that it wasn't painful and it's mm -hmm. not to say it wasn't hard on our kids and all of the things to navigate and figure out. But um, yeah, this was just what that chapter of our lives looked like. Yeah, I love that. Rachel, I could talk to you for hours know, and hours and hours. I'm like, in love with this, but I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to... Lean into the final five. Yes. These are your rapid fire, fast five Oh my round. gosh, okay. So you can only answer the questions with one word or one sentence maximum. Okay. One sentence is like 10 words. Okay, I'm going to try and do one nine. word. I don't know what okay. a definition is of a sentence. Uh, but Rachel Hollis, these are your final five. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the look the on your face. The me this, like, okay. We need a sound effect here. Like, uh, I know. But uh, okay, question number one. What is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received. Um, okay. Uh, this was not given to me directly, but my favorite quote, and this mm -hmm. is, I'm going to take his advice, um, was from Oprah. Um, when I was a teenager, I saw her say this and I thought it and lived it ever since. There is no such thing as luck. Mm -hmm. There is only preparation meeting opportunity at a moment in time. And I've spent my life preparing for those moments. That's beautiful. I love that. And it was so great to see you both on stage together I as well. So I love that. Okay. Question number two, what's the worst advice you've ever received? I know exactly what it is. Uh, my mom always told me that um, if if your husband doesn't get you what you want for Christmas, just tell him. Like if you want something, just buy the gift yourself. She would always just tell me like basically sort of saying you can fix him and kind of make him who you want to be. Mm -hmm. And I am conscious of this now because I now know what it's like to date someone who gets you exactly as you are mm -hmm. and that you don't have to explain anything to. Mm -hmm. And so I consider that really bad advice. You shouldn't try and mold someone to be who you yeah. want them to be. Beautiful. All right. Question number three, how would you define in one sentence your current purpose? To make as many beautiful memories as possible with mm. the people I love. 
I love that. That's a beautiful purpose. All right, question number four. Uh, what's the next thing you're most excited to learn? Or what's something you're currently learning that, that's new to you and that's exciting? Letting go of my attachment to the outcome. Mm. That is a big yes, one for me right now. One. That is a big one. <laughs> we can talk about that a lot. Uh, question number five, the fifth and final question is, if you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? We are not allowed to care about what other people think of us. I've been amazing. I though. think that would change the world. And I think that if we could give that to our children to not be concerned with other people's opinions, it would change everything. It's amazing. Rachel Hollis on On Purpose. Rachel, thank you so much for doing <laughs> oh gosh, this. This Jay, was so you. much fun. Yeah. We've talked for... I uh, did God not knows, know what God time it how is. Long. Yeah, I've, I, we've talked <laughs> for such a long time. I did ask you when you walked in. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah but my flight's This has been four. amazing. Yeah. Uh, we would love to see... There are so many incredible takeaways in this episode. I hope you're going to go back, make notes. Me and Rachel would love to see what stuck out to you. Please, please, please tag both of us on Instagram, on Twitter. Let us know what were the moments, what were the things that Rachel mentioned that are going to stay with you and that you're going to remember so that you can apply them into your own life. Rachel, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to share with no, anyone about? No, no. Oh my okay, gosh, well, no. Everyone thank who's you. watching, please go follow Rachel on Instagram and across all social media platforms and find out more from The Hollis Company as well. So you can go to the website. Uh, we'll put all the links into the comment section. Uh, Rachel, thank you again Thanks, for being Jay. on the show. This was and so fun. This will be the first of many. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.